will set you free. I just prayed. What is freedom? When are we truly free? That quotation was from John 8, which we just read. Jesus is interacting with some opponents. And in the course of that conversation, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Does that sound like freedom? Just speaking as you've been taught. Doing the things that are pleasing to this other. Is that freedom? A slave would do nothing on his own authority. A slave would speak only what he is told to speak. A slave would do what pleases the master. So is Jesus a slave or is he free? Well, Jesus then says to those who begin to believe in him, as I alluded to, if you abide in my word, if you, are, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and what? And the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, Jesus' word is the Father's word. And that word is truth. And walking in that truth is free. You see, in our society, we've got freedom backwards. Freedom is not following whatever whim or fancy comes into my head. That is not freedom. That is slavery to my desires. Freedom is walking in the path of greatest joy. Freedom is walking in the path of greatest fulfillment. Freedom is fulfilling your greatest potential, becoming what you were created to be. And that potential is to be like Jesus Christ. You are made in the image of God and united with Christ, you can become like him, and that is freedom. You have no freedom to do that unless you are united to Christ. That's the path of blessing, and we find that path in God's word. We stay on that path through prayer, through active dependence. And thus we need to commit ourselves to God's word, seeking God's wisdom, seeking God's strength, seeking God himself, if we are to be free. That is, paradoxically, we find freedom when we enslave ourselves to God. We find freedom when we enslave ourselves to God. As Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 16, NIV, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Live as free people. Live as God's slaves. Thus, our sermon title Active dependence on God and his word. We depend on God for wisdom. We trust that his is the path to joy. We delight in his love and his forgiveness. We follow him by his power. And we commit ourselves to continue to remain, to abide in his word. All the days of our life. Well, that's one key message 
this message of active dependence. It's one key message of Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible that we began to look at last week. Recall a couple of things from last week. We saw that Psalm 119 pictures a deep relationship with God. We seek him with our whole heart. We walk in his ways. We rejoice in him and in his word. We are closely related to him. And that's the same type of relationship that the incarnate Jesus had with the Father in his years on earth. So to help us understand that last week, we considered an analogy, speaking of a daughter and a father who is a good father. The daughter loves him, trusts him. She's going on a long journey, will be separated him from him for a long time. And so he writes her letters, giving her counsel, giving her promises, giving her guidance. He reminds her through those letters of who he is. And she follows his counsel. She eagerly anticipates his promised return. And then they rejoice when he fulfills that promise. And then we saw in the second half of that sermon that we must seek him. And how are we to do that? We are to trust in his word, following it. We are to learn and remember that word. We are to commit ourselves to persevere day after day, year after year, decade after decade. We are to proclaim his instruction to others. We are to rejoice in his word. And we are to pray without ceasing. Since we're going to discuss prayer more today, let me remind you of verse 17 from last week's text. Deal bountifully with your servant. This is a prayer, right? Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. As we said last week, that doesn't mean give me lots of stuff, God. That's not the way he deals bountifully with us. But give me what I need to follow you. Be overflowingly generous with what you give me that enables me to follow you. As Jesus says in one of his parables, pour it into your lap, well down, full measure, pat it down, overflowing. He gives us what we need to follow him, to abide in him and in his word, to live like Jesus. To use Peter's phrase from 2 Peter chapter 1, he grants us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That's dealing bountifully with us. And so we pray that again and again and again. Give me now what I need to delight in you and follow you. Wake in the morning. Give me this day, Father. Deal bountifully with me. Give me what I need to see Jesus for who he is, to follow him every step in this day. So last week, the question was, how do we seek him? And this week, the theme is active dependence. This two-word phrase has become very precious to me over the years. I struggled with the idea that we were discussing in the core seminar. I struggled for many years in my teens and my 20s because I didn't understand this biblical relationship between freedom in Christ and the obligation to obey. Those seemed contradictory to me. And I didn't understand how they went together. This paradox that is stated so succinctly, so powerfully in Hebrews 4, make every effort to enter God's rest. Which sounds like try real hard to go to sleep, and that never works. Does it? Well, I hope if that phrase, active dependence, is not yet precious to you, it will be so by the end of this sermon. Think of the Israelites 
crossing the Red Sea, right? They were stepping, they were walking, they had to put one foot in front of the other. But there was no way they were going to get across the Red Sea unless God was at work, right? Or think of Peter. The disciples see Jesus walking on the water on the Sea of Galilee, right? And Peter says, if it's really you, command me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat, and what happens? He walks on the water. Again, he's picking up his feet, he's walking, he stepped out of the boat. But the only way he can stay on top of that water is by dependence on Jesus. And what happens when he looks away from Jesus? Those two pictures of active dependence. That's what we're talking about this morning. We are at work, but we can only work by his power. In the verses we considered in Course Seminar, 2 Peter, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, says the Apostle Paul. It's a command to us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But why is that even possible? For God is at work, both to will and to work, according to his good pleasure. Well, Psalm 119 is a great help in assisting us to understand how we do this. How do we live out this active dependence on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis? Before we start on active dependence, though, one general point about Psalm 119, I think it's appropriate to say now in this second sermon. Think of Psalm 119 as a gurgling waterfall in in the western North Carolina mountains. Okay, falling down hundreds of feet. So beautiful to look at. That's Psalm 119. But you can look at that waterfall from the base and look out at it. Right? That's one perspective. You can climb to the top, not up where that waterfall leaves around in the trail, and look down at it. That's a very different perspective. You can climb up onto the ridge opposite and get the whole panorama, how the waterfall is set in the the entire area. You You could even get a helicopter and go from straight above the waterfall, get that perspective. Each one is going to look different, right? You're going to see something different about the waterfall from each of those different perspectives. Same water, same trees, same valley, but it looks different. And that's what we're doing in these seven or eight sermons on Psalm 119. Many of the same ideas will come up in different weeks but we look at them from a different perspective in a different context. And all of these will help us to know God better, to love him more, to love his word more, and to become more like Jesus. So that's how we pray that God will further bring to completion the good work that he has begun in us through this great psalm. So today, verses 25 to 48, three steps to active dependence on God, and one question. First step, acknowledge your weakness. Second step, pray. And then the question, why aren't these first two steps sufficient? And then the third step, commit yourself to action. Acknowledge your weakness, pray, the question, why aren't these first two steps sufficient? And then, thirdly, commit yourself to action. So acknowledge your weakness. 
To acknowledge our weakness is to agree with what God says about us in his word. To agree with what Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, today's passage begins with such an acknowledgement. My soul melts away for sorrow. My soul, that's verse 28, verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. That sounds pretty depressed, doesn't it? My soul clings to the dust. I'm down in the dirt. I feel like all is hopeless. I can't do anything. I failed. There's no light, only darkness. That verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. There's some translation difficulties here. One way that possibly could be translated is, I'm sleepless for sorrow. And of course, that's often a a characterization when we are depressed. The psalmist sees that there is no hope for him unless God is at work. There is no strength in him. And verses 36 and 37 expand on this in a way to say there is a weak, a particular weakness on our part when we are faced with sin and temptation. So he prays, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain or not to what is of questionable profit. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. You see, he's acknowledging here that left to his own devices, his heart is going to go after things that are worthless that are selfish, that are questionable profit. That's who we are in and of ourselves in our fallen state. We are prone to wander. We are weak. And we focus on those things that will ultimately be of harm to us. Now, We're attracted to different things that are worthless. Some of us are attracted to one set of worthless things. Some are attracted to other worthless things. And sometimes we look down on those people who are attracted to worthless things that are not attracted to us. And we excuse being attracted to the worthless things that we want to look at and perceive. So some are attracted to the worthless worthless thing of fitting into the crowd, right? Fitting into a crowd of people who are all rebelling against God. That's a worthless thing. But it's easy to be attracted to that. Some are attracted to the worthless thing of pornography or of sex outside of marriage. That's a worthless thing. That leads to destruction And yet many, many, many are attracted to that worthless thing. Some are attracted to things that are not worthless in and of themselves, but are worthless because they remove our focus from Jesus, on God, and and dominate our thoughts and our hearts and keep us then from pursuing Christ. They've become treasures on earth. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and these earthly treasures. And so things like money, career, Educational degrees, health and fitness, even family, can become 
distractions from what God has commanded us to do. And thus, in that way, they can become a worthless thing that we need to pray. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to these things of questionable profit. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So we must agree with God, saying, I need you and your word, or I will fall into these wrong paths. I will fall into these paths that lead to destruction. So guide me. I'm weak. I'm needy. I'm prone to wander. So we must confess with the Apostle Paul that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We cannot follow him unless he enables us to do so. So that's the first step in active dependence, acknowledging our weakness, acknowledging that we're prone to wander, acknowledging that there are all these worthless things that left to ourselves would dominate our lives. The second step in active dependence, unsurprisingly, is pray. As we noted last week, more than half of the verses in Psalm 119 include a prayer. And indeed, in the 24 verses we're looking at this morning, 16 of them include a prayer. And all of this middle section, verses 33 to 40, every one of those verses is a prayer. There are seven, seven categories of prayer that I want to point out briefly. So, first of all, first of all, forgiveness. Verse 39. He's just said, Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. And then he says, turn away the reproach that I dread. And I believe he's talking here about reproach from God. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. He's praying for forgiveness. He's saying, I know my transgression, my sin is ever before you, the way that David prayed at the beginning of Psalm 51. Right? I deserve your reproach against you, and you only have I sinned, says David. I think this is the same idea here. So that you are blameless in your judgment, says David. There's a reproach that I deserve. Turn away that reproach that I dread. Forgive me. We would say, forgive me because of the death of Jesus. Your rules are good. I acknowledge that your law, your instruction, your testimonies, your precepts, these are right and good. And I have failed to keep them in your mercy. Forgive me. So forgiveness, the first prayer. Second, desire. Beginning at 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies. I pray this so often, friends. I pray this again and again and again. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Take my inner desires, who I am on the inside, all I am on the inside, and move it, shift it towards desiring who you are, the way you've revealed yourself in your word. Our desires need to be changed if we are to follow Christ. And we can think of this also as focus, what we desire, but also what do we focus on? Incline my heart to your testimonies. If he does that, then we're going to focus 
on what God wants us to see. And so 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Don't let me focus on those. Let me focus on you. And then 29, beginning at 29, put false ways far from me. Don't let them be my focus. Incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. So desire, forgiveness, desire. Third, understanding and application of the word. We need to understand what God says, and then we need to live it out to be able to apply it in our lives. And so the second half of 26, teach me your statutes. The very next phrase in 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. Second half of 29, graciously teach me your law, your instruction. Beginning of 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And then the beginning of 34, give me understanding. This longing to know what God says, because what God says reveals him to us and how we can walk with him and follow him. And to have this understanding is not only to get to memorize the word, to have the sequence of words in our head, but understanding so that we know how do we live this out. In the confused circumstances of every one of our lives, how do we do this? How do we live in light of these truths? So forgiveness, desire, understanding, forth. The strength to follow his commands. Pray for the strength to follow him. Second half of 28. Strengthen me according to your word. And then the first half of 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Or guide me in the path of your commandments. Or make me walk in the path of your commandments. I think the idea includes leading, guiding, but make me walk includes the idea of enablement, right? Make me walk. Give me the power to walk in your commandments and thus strengthen me. I'm weak. I don't have the power to do this. I can't live it out, oh God. I have to depend on you to do this. So enable me to do that. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. And then fifth, pray for life. Pray for true life. This is going to be the focus of a sermon, I don't know, three or four sermons from now. So I just, I just want to point this out where these verses are. Second half of 25. Give me life according to your word. That can also be translated. Revive me according to your word. Second half of 37. Give me life in your ways. Second half of 40. In your righteousness give me life. Give me true life. More on that later. Sixth, praying that God would fulfill his promises. 38, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Second half of 31, let me not be put to shame. Okay, what does that have to do with promise, you might ask? I'm put to shame in front of others if I depend on God's promise and he doesn't come through. Okay, that's when I'm put to shame. As the Apostle Paul says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are of all men most to be feared. Right? So if we throw away all else, pursue Jesus, 
the psalmist says here, let me not be put to shame, that is, fulfill your promise that I'm depending on right now. And then verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. It's a wonderful prayer to pray even every day. Let your steadfast love come to me right now, in this moment, when I'm hurting, when I'm weak, when I'm sorrowful. Let your salvation come to me. You've promised it, Father. So overwhelm me with your love. Seventh, finally, don't take your word out of my mouth. Verse 43, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. We said last week that we proclaim the word. That's part of seeking his face. And we'll see that again in a few minutes as one of our commitments. But we're asking here, oh Father, enable me to speak your word. It is a grace to speak your word. I'm weak. I've failed. I've sinned. But don't remove that word of truth from my mouth. Continue to let me speak these gospel truths to people who need to hear them so desperately. Use me as an instrument of your peace, of your grace, even though I fail so miserably. I think that's what the psalmist is saying here. Don't take that word out of my mouth. It's precious to be able to proclaim. So those are the prayers. Forgiveness, desire, understanding, strength, true life, asking God to fulfill his promise, and asking that he still speak through us. Well, now then, the question, why isn't this sufficient? Why isn't this enough to acknowledge our weakness and then to pray to God that he would fulfill his promises, fulfill his word through us? Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Or have you ever said something like this yourself? I prayed that God would turn me away from temptation and he didn't answer. I acknowledged my weakness. I prayed for the strength to resist the temptation and he wasn't faithful to that promise. And so I fell into that sin again. There needs to be another step. We need to acknowledge our weakness. We need to pray. And then we must commit ourselves to act. But that commitment, that action, is not based on our willpower. It's not based on our strength. It's a commitment to keep on depending on God. We don't say, oh Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, and then, boom, the next day we sin, and say, okay, well, I guess that didn't work. That's not the Christian life. We commit to keep on depending on him. We commit to keep on praying. We commit to keep on turning to his word. We commit to keep on turning to God. We commit to keep on repenting and asking for forgiveness. We commit to keep on living a gospel-centered, Christ-dependent life today, tomorrow, next week, next year, next decade, 50 years from now. If all we do is acknowledge our sinfulness and pray, lead me not to temptation, 
And then temptation comes and we fall right into it. We weren't really praying to God. We were just mouthing the words of prayer. As the 19th century pastor commentator Charles Bridges wrote on verse 37, the sincerity of our prayer, that's the prayer, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, give me life according to your ways. The sincerity of our prayer will be proved by our watchfully avoiding the circumstances and occasions of temptation. You see? If this is our desire, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, give me life in your ways, then we pray and we turn our eyes away from worthless things. So as Luke tells us that Jesus taught, we ought always to pray and not lose heart. We don't lose heart when we fall into sin again. We always pray. And Jesus concludes that section of Luke 18 by saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find those who have persevered in prayer, have persevered in active dependence on him? Have persevered, as we just said, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, 50 years and up. As we saw last week, what Psalm 119 pictures is a committed relationship between his people and God. And so we continue in that life-giving relationship moment after moment, year after year. And thus, verse 44, I will keep your law continually, comma, forever and ever. Right? Continually, meaning every second right now, and then, just as I said, year after year, decade after decade, forever. That's the commitment. So why do we need to do more than acknowledge our weakness and pray? Prayer is not a magic wand that we wave and then we see, poof, temptation and weakness disappear. Prayer is an expression of a relationship with a loving Father. Prayer is a way we seek true life in Him, true joy in Him. And without commitment to action, we're simply showing that we don't really believe true life is found in Him and true joy is found in Him. So there has to be a commitment to action. So that's then our final heading. The third way that we actively depend, the fourth heading this morning. Five commitments that we can make from this some more, but I've tried to boil them down a bit. Verse 30. We choose God's way. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. We have chosen. This is the way to life. And I choose that. That is a commitment on my part. The same as when I married Beth, I was committing myself, I was vowing that as long as we both live, she would be my wife. I would cling to her and to no other as long as we both live. We are choosing God's way of faithfulness. That's a commitment. Second, 
We set the word before our eyes rather than those worthless things. That's the second part of verse 30. I set your rules before me. Verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. And then second half of 27. I will meditate on your wondrous works. And then second half of 48. I will meditate on your statutes. So I'm putting the word in front of me. That's a commitment. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that again and again and again. Go to God's word regularly and I'm going to turn it over in my mind. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to figure out how does it apply in the circumstances I'm facing this day. So choosing God's way, then second, setting the word before us, meditating on it, and then third, clinging to the word. It's an interesting way that the author speaks in verse 25 and then verse 31. Beginning of this section, my soul clings to the dust. Depression, weakness. Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies. Okay? I was clinging to the dust. Now I cling to your testimonies and I'm lifted up out of the dust. So we have to cling to, value, hold on to the word. That's our commitment. Trust in the word. End of 42. I trust in your word. End of 43. My hope is in your rules. Just as we saw from 44 earlier, that we will do this forever and ever, continually, and then forever and ever. And then end of 45, I have sought your precepts. And then 47 and 48, our last two verses. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. We cling to what we love, don't we? And so when we see that God's word communicates to us who Jesus is, communicates us to us the love of the Father, the character of the Father, we love that word and we cling to it. We set it before our eyes. We value it. We keep it. We seek it. We delight it. Fourth, our commitment is to speak that word. We've asked that the word not be taken out of our mouth, and then we commit ourselves to proclaiming it, to speaking it, beginning of 42. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, the person who's mocking me for following God's word. I will speak the truth to that person when I have when his steadfast love comes to me when his, he gives me his salvation according to his promise. Okay? And then verse 46. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. So even if I stand before the most powerful people that there are so imagine whoever you think is the most powerful, imposing person that you could stand in the commitment is, I'm not going to cower before that person. I'm not going to try to ingratiate myself with that person. But I'm going to see that powerful person as one who, just like me, is weak and sinful before a holy and righteous God. And I'm going to speak these words of life-giving truth to that person also. That's my commitment. And then, fifthly, 
Verse 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. N-E-T, I will run in the way of your commandments for you enable me to do so. That's active dependence, isn't it? I will run in the way of your commandments. Remember just a few weeks ago, we looked at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says, pray for us. And the Lord asks that the word of God would run and be glorified. There the picture is the word run. Here, the picture is us running along the path, the road, which consists of his commandments. We're running because he has enabled us to do that. Right? We're also running because it is such a joy to run along this path in the way of his commandments. We're before him, rejoicing in him, getting to know him better, following him in all our ways. That is freedom. Right? I have the freedom now to run in the way of your commandments because you enable me to do that. I can relax in that room and make every effort to follow you, to delight in you. We see this also in the second half of 33. I will keep it to the end. Meaning, I will keep it forever. But that can also mean in all the different ways, in all that that entails right now, I will keep your word. In all the different ways to the end. And then 34, I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. That's the idea of running in the way of your commandments, delighting in it. And 35b, similarly, I delight in your, the way of your commandments. And then, 45. I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. NIV, I will walk about in freedom. A wide place. There are no constraints on me. I will walk about in freedom. For I have sought your precepts. So that brings us for full circle back to John 8, where we began, right? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So five commitments. Choose God's way. Set the word before your eyes. Cling to that word. Value it. Fourth, speak the word. And five, run in the way of the commandments. Delight to follow him. These are all necessary. We have to commit ourselves and act. And then we can actively depend on God. So have you been that person who prayed, lead me not to temptation, and then... You fell into temptation. I have. I have. The point of this psalm, the point of scripture is not, hey, you blew it, that's it, you're not one of God's people. That is not the point of this psalm or the point of God's word. The message of the gospel that was proclaimed to you, the word of the Lord that endures forever is turn to him. Turn to him today. Today is the day of salvation. So, grow up into salvation, since that is the day that it is. Jesus can be your Savior. He can be your joy. He showed us, he lived out that joy-filled, God-dependent life and then he died so that you could participate in such a joy-filled, God-dependent life. 
So by his grace, by the Spirit's power, we can live that way before the face of God, delighting in him, actively dependent on him every minute of every day. So do that, do that. This is the way to true freedom. This is the way to true life. This is the way to Christ-likeness, what God intended you to be. So commit yourself to know the truth, to love the truth, to delight in the truth, and have confidence that through Jesus, the truth will set you free. Let's pray again. Father God, we confess how easily we fall into Satan's snares, feeling sorry for ourselves, accusing you of not being faithful to your promises, ignoring your word. and then complaining that you're not working in our life. So Father, forgive us. Help us to hold on to these gospel truths. A broken and contrite heart we will not decide. But we are always ready to forgive. If we turn in repentance and come to you on the basis of Christ's blood. So we do that now, O oh Father. We are sinners. We are weak. We cannot follow you by our power. So Father, we commit ourselves. We acknowledge all that. We say that your word is truth. Your word is life. Knowing you is the greatest joy. And so Father, we will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge our hearts and you enable us to do so. And do so, we pray. May we help one another in this race and together fulfill your promise. Strengthen one another so that we present each person perfect before you because of your mighty gospel work. In Jesus' name we pray.